Well, thank you, Jeanette, and thank you, Shannon, and the worship team. That was really great. And Rachel for the communion. God is alive and well and always calling us up and calling us on. Amen. Well, it is my joy this morning to do an introduction on the book of Ephesians, which throughout this year we're going to be revisiting from time to time and in various different ways. So um, it is really exciting. It's a fantastic book, clearly one of my favorites in the New Testament because of what it does and what it is able to do and call us up to. So I'm only going to give you a very brief overview of the history of it. The reason why I don't spend a lot of time on that is because it's all over the web now. We can all get great information. It's accessible to all of us. So let me just open it up by saying that it's relatively undisputed, and it's certainly not disputed by me at all, that the Apostle Paul was the author of it. He wrote it when he was under house arrest, which so many of his letters to the church were written. Um, I do laugh a little bit, I don't want to get off the subject, at the people teaching the prosperity gospel. Many of you will know what that is. And quoting all the letters from Apostle Paul, which he wrote when he was incarcerated in prison. And um, that, that, the amusement of that just never misses me, but sorry, let's not uh, go there. So he wrote it in about 62 AD. And he did address it to the saints in the church at Ephesus, but which was a very prosperous port city uh, in the Roman province of Asia Minor. Um, it had great international trade, it had a thriving silversmith guild, it had a lot of industry, and it had a theatre, think about this today, that seated 20,000 people. That is a lot of people, of course it was open air, and all of that. So <clears throat> that's who Paul was writing to. Um, some people claim he was writing to much wider than just the people at Ephesus, which um, may well be true. There's a lot of great themes in it, but the one I like most is that Christ has reconciled the whole of creation to himself and to God the Father. Why I like that is it's not just us as people. Sure, we are a central focus of it, but it's the whole created order. The word I like is cosmos, which speaks about the whole universe, everything on this earth all the plants, all the animals, all the systems that make the world work. God has reconciled uh, all of those through faith in Jesus Christ. And I really like that, but out of it also the doctrine of salvation, which we will visit briefly this morning. Salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ is there. And when we get into the last three chapters, which I'm not going today, there's the wonderful discussion about the armor of God, and we will look at that at a future time and how important all of that is. So there's huge treasures in the book, but the key theme, and a, and a nice way to read through the book of Ephesians, and this principle is not only something that Paul calls to all the time, this principle is so important throughout the scriptures. The key theme is that who we are in Christ comes before what we do. And so Paul labors in the first three chapters of Ephesians to tell us who we are. 
before he brings us into, now that we know that, here's what we should be doing. So we have three chapters, which we're going to look at this morning. It's going to be a whirlwind overview. All I'm trying to do is whet your appetite, so hopefully you'll go home and do some more work in it. But in the first three chapters, Paul is saying, you must understand who you are in Christ if you are to achieve the things that he has for you to do. So we see the first three chapters are who we are, the second three chapters, what we need to do. So in 3.10, to illustrate this, Paul comes up and he makes a statement. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, Hang on to your seats because what Paul is saying here is that God is ultimately going to express his great power, his great wisdom, his great plan through the whole of creation through us, his church. Now, we can get very excited about that and so we should. But we should all be overawed by it because I know who I am. I know who most of you are, and this is nothing personal. But in our own strength, it's not going to work, guys. We can't do it. So when Paul drops that on us, speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, or writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when he drops that on us, that should drop us to our knees and say, oh my gosh, God wants to do this through his people. Wow, I'm one of his people. If God is going to do that, I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit working through me, or I'm never going to be able to achieve it. See, God's seeking a demonstration on this planet, in every realm of life, such as in economics, in business, in science, education, politics, medicine, law and justice, family, and on the list goes. And God says, I am going to demonstrate who I am and how I expected all of these things to work through you, his people. The demonstration is going to come through the church. And ultimately, according to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, the church will finally get its act together and whatever that means and be such a demonstration, and that will herald the return of Christ. Now, I personally believe we've got a little bit to go yet before that's going to happen. But the way has been prepared for us. I had a wonderful young man many years ago. Many of you know him, Jeremy Fernando. He's the son of Anna and, Anna and Kumadini here. Came to me, he was about 16 years old, and he said, I want to be a doctor. I said, great, Jeremy. So what, why do you want to be a doctor? What do you want to be to achieve? And he said, well, I want to be a great doctor. Not only do I want to understand medicine, but I want to understand people. And, you know, I, and so he talked to me about all the wonderful things. And I said, Jeremy, that's fantastic, but it's not good enough. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I know plenty of great doctors like that who don't know Jesus. That can be achieved without Christ. 
So, Jeremy, that's a great starting point. But what you have to do is get before the Lord and say, and he's got to do all the training and all the work, which he's done, by the way, and he's now working in Australia as a doctor and, and the head of a medical team over there. Said, so you've got to do all of that work, Jeremy, but you've also got to achieve things in the medical arena that cannot be achieved without the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's your mandate. As a son and a daughter, which you all are, as husbands and wives and parents, which many of you are, as families, as many of you are, we have to achieve things in those realms. And now out into our, our vocation and our job, we have to achieve things in those realms that cannot be achieved without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. This is not a statement of humility. I am not a great communicator. There is plenty of people in my family and even in this room that can have higher level of communication skills than me. That's true. Um, this is going to be funny next time he speaks. But if you're a young person or anybody who's aspiring to be a good communicator, you could do a lot worse than watch Trevor Salisbury. Trevor's as good as communicator, I don't say this lightly, as I have ever seen. So if you want to see the model of a good communicator, watch Trevor. Now, I don't have the skills to communicate that Trevor does, yet God has seen fit to use me all over the world for the last 20, 25 years, speaking at churches, conferences, business meetings. So it means, and by the way, I'm not saying Trevor doesn't do this because I know he does. It means I've got to dig further than just come out of my own skills to be able to do what I know God has called me to do and what people expect of me whenever I speak. So do I have to diligently prepare? Yes, I do. And do I have to call on all my own skills and ability? Yes, I do. But to achieve what God wants, I finally have to stand before him and do everything I can to position myself to hear from the Holy Spirit and allow him to stir in me what he wants to do at any given time, any given message. And that's the only way I can achieve what God wants me to achieve in this realm. And it is the only way any of you can achieve what God requires of you in the various realms realms of life you are functioning in. Amen? Sorry, Trevor, I'm going to be excited next time you have to get up to speak with that pressure on you. <laughs> he said he's never going to again. See, before we can achieve what God has called us to achieve, we have to know clearly what it means to be in Christ. And if we don't know this, we cannot possibly accept the mandate that Paul gave us in Ephesians 3.10 that we are going to be the expression to the world and the principalities of how great our God is because of what he is able to achieve through us, his people. See, there is the ultimate expression of God. The enemy is saying you'll never do it. You'll never pull it off because you've just restricted yourself to achieve your purposes through this motley crew of people. Now, this is the enemy speaking, okay, not me. 
says you'll never do it. And God says, yes, I will. And it will stand and become a demonstration, not only to the world, but the principalities of powers of what I am going to achieve on this earth. And my greatness is not that I can do it myself. My greatness is I will do it through ordinary, everyday, living people such as you and I. But we must be in Christ and we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to achieve it. In chapter 2, verse 6, Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul explains that we also, he says, have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of God. It is not only Jesus that is positioned there, we are there too in Christ. And it is from here that we draw the essence of who we are and the power for what he would have us do. So let's jump into some of this. And as I said, this is a whirlwind trip, but it's a great challenge for me and it's a great challenge for all of us. And I believe it can be done with God's help. So let's go to, and I think Mel has got some um, verses that are coming up. So let's go to chapter one and read verses three to six. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Oh, sorry, full stop. Then in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, I know it is a bit of a mouthful, I know it is a bit of a challenge, but let me break it down into some nice headings. Firstly, Paul, speaking in the past tense, tells us that every spiritual, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been made available to us when? Now. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has already been made available to us now. There's nothing more that God needs to do on that basis. It's not something we have to wait for for another age. They're all here for us now, waiting for us to reach out and lay hold of them and apply them to all of our life. And we'll talk about that towards the end again. Secondly, he says, we have been made holy and blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but I woke up this morning. I don't think I was grumpy. I think I was quite nice to uh, Linda and Mel. But um, I still know I'm a fallen man. But Paul is trying to set us free from thinking that we have to achieve our own standing before God. He is saying that it's been done for us in Christ, and in Christ we have been declared holy and blameless. Isn't that a good thing? His mercies were new every morning. Do you know in 1 John 1, 7, that it doesn't say that he has washed us clean, it says he washes us clean. Do you know it's an ongoing thing that as you were sleeping last night, you might have had a shower this morning and the water washed you clean, but Christ did a much greater job of it. So then it says that he has made us sons. And this applies to both men and women. It's generic. 
See, before we were slaves and servants, which the gospel calls us to be slaves for Christ, servants for Christ, but before we are those things which is about more about what we do, we need to know who we are. And we are sons and daughters before the living God. And as sons and daughters, he has granted us an inheritance. And part of that inheritance is the right to participate with him in taking this inheritance to a new level. It's a great question. What would have happened if Adam and Eve never sinned? I don't want to get into the big, long debate about it, but their mandate, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, was to work with the Lord to take this created order somewhere. We still have that mandate. It is here for us. And Paul in Romans 8 and other places says, now you've been empowered to do it. So our job is to take this created order somewhere, and we're going to carry on throughout eternity doing that with Christ. But as if this wasn't enough, God is calling us to come and work with him and make it better. So in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, it says, we are called that you know what is the hope of his calling. We need to know. It's not a mystery. We need to know it. What are the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So it's significant that, again, Paul tells us that although we have a part, or we have a part to play here, what is important to know is that we have the revelation that this great power has been made available to us now. And in the call to prayer, here is something interesting, and it's something that I don't encounter in a lot of prayer meetings. Paul is not urging us in this passage to pray for wisdom and to pray for insight and to pray for power and to pray for understanding. He's urging us to pray for the revelation that all of this is available to us. It has been made available to us in Christ and we have to start expressing it through our lives and through our beings into every aspect of life. See, Paul's not saying, pray that you get this. Paul's saying, it's all being done for us. Pray that you see it and pray that you release it and pray that you'll grasp it because you can't go forward and achieve the great things God has called all of us to achieve until we understand this is not only available to us, that this has been planted right within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's telling us to pray for. He's saying, it's all here, guys. Pray that God opens up your eyes to see it, so then you lay hold of it, so then we can be well changers. So we move on into Ephesians 2. And one of the key points that Paul makes is that salvation is by grace alone. He says this, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5 and 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, not 
as a result of works so that no one may boast. If there is anybody here that doesn't know Jesus this morning, and we'll give you an opportunity if you are to come uh, and, and help be introduced to him at the end of the meeting. But, and let me say for all of those of us who do, our only required response to this is to accept it. See, we come before the marvelous throne of the living God, and we've sung about this in our worship time this morning, just as we are. And he washes us clean. And he puts this beautiful robe of righteousness upon us. And then he looks at us and says, wow, you look so beautiful. Come into my throne room with me. Sit down and let us talk. Let us chat. Let us share together. See, this is the Father and all his glory and all his power. He puts the robe of righteousness on us. Then he says, I love you so much. I just want to be with you every minute of the day, and I want you to be with me. And see, here's the tragedy. So often we say, no, I'm not good enough yet. Wait for me to go and get my life sorted out, then I'll come back and do that. Now here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy for the Father. He knows we can't do it. He knows we can't achieve it. But here's the other tragedy. He paid a tremendous price, which was for the death and the suffering of his son. And he made his son to be sin so that we can be righteousness in him. All we do is make a trade. I trade up for myself into who I am in Christ, and I'm taken into Christ's salvation, Christ's resurrection, Christ's holiness, and I'm accepted by the Father as a glorious human being. That's it. There's nothing more that can be done. Our role is simply to accept it, to bask in the gratitude of it, and just offer worship back to the Father for what he has done at such great cost to himself on our behalf. Amen? What a privilege. But then at that point, and at that point only, Paul says, now that you've heard all that, now that you can be all of that, the Father has some work for you to do. So the other sad thing is if we just say that's enough, I'm just going to sit around and enjoy God and do nothing. And No, that's not part of it. As a result of what he's done for us, he now wants to commission us and empower us to work with him. And one of the key ways we get to know the Father is by working with him. One of the key ways you get to know people at your workplace is you're working alongside of them for 40 hours a week. And we get to know the Father by working with him. So Paul tells us this. He gives us this great promise in Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, here's the joy, brothers and sisters. There's no unemployment in the kingdom of God. He has got a role and a purpose for everybody. And he doesn't have to scratch his head and think, oh my goodness, what am I ever going to do with Bruce? 
He has prepared my works for me before I even arrived on this planet. All I have to do is discover them in him. And see, this is what's important. Unless we know God, unless we are in Christ, we can never ever discover what the purpose is for us being on this planet or what our design is. See, so many people who don't know Jesus may respond to a degree of desire they have inside them or to a degree of skill and ability they have inside them, which everybody has. But God intended more than that. He wanted us to partner with him in our true calling. He wanted us to explore the wonder and the adventure of what it truly means to be a son and a daughter of the living God. To do the things which the eye has not seen and which the ear has not heard and which the mind could never even conceive of coming from the heart of man. See, these things that God has have never entered the heart of man. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. So here's the problem. Unless we are in Christ, we can't discover them because the calling and the design and the purpose that God has on our life are beyond any form of human understanding. Now, that is amazing. The tragedy is so few people ever experience it. See, I've been on such an adventure for 35 years. There's people in this room that have been about it longer than I have. And it hasn't always been easy. But it has certainly been a most amazing journey and far beyond anything I could have experienced without him. And God has this for every single person that comes onto this planet. Okay, sorry, we've got to move on. Ephesians 2, we're still in Ephesians 2, verses 21 to 22. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, this is as important today as it has ever been. The ultimate goal that God has for his people, once we've come to the point of salvation, the ultimate goal that God has for his people is that we embrace embrace the process of transformation and we move on from one degree of glory to another, growing in maturity in him. God wants us to grow up. For those of you of parents, your three-year-old was quite cute and you would laugh when he or she threw their dinner on the floor. Try and do it as a 12-year-old and see what your parents say. You can say, well, hang on a minute. When I was three, you thought that was cute. See, God's the same. There's certain things he puts up with and even enjoys with us today, but he wants us to be in the process of transformation. He wants us to be changed by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another, and he wants us to grow up. Now, here's the important thing in the verses that we've made. These verses make it very, very clear, and I'm preaching to the converted here, and there's a whole lot of people that I wish were here this morning that I could preach to. They make it very clear that this will not take place unless we are fitted together and being built together alongside and with other believers. 
It's not an individual thing. It's a community thing. We cannot grow to a place of maturity in Christ sitting on our own on a desert island. Now, if you are marooned on a desert island, you can survive in Christ, at least as long as there's food and water. But we cannot become who we truly are, and we cannot embrace the things Paul's talking about here unless we are a vibrant part of a biblical community. See, the kingdom of God is built from the foundation of community. And from this comes our well-being, our growth, our development, our protection of the deceptive ways of the enemy, and so many other things. See, like many of you, for several years now, I have had the misfortune of being able to watch many people I began this journey with now going it alone many of them from here, some from other places all around the world. I'm both amazed and disturbed at how slowly but surely the passion and understanding of Christ departs from them. And in it takes its place as a whole lot of other worldly stuff. Now, it's not willful sin. But certainly it's a way of life that is more an expression from another kingdom than the kingdom of God. One that no longer reflects the one true God sitting on his throne, calling us on to the reality of knowing him, becoming like him, and embracing his design in our lives. That, brothers and sisters, is a community thing, not an individual thing. See, I have a great heart to see this community right here, Christian Fellowship in Upper Heart, here in Lane Park. I have a great heart and desire to see this built. But if this place doesn't suit you, please, please, please go and find one that does rather than just drop out into the void that so many people who sincerely love Jesus are living in today because doing so severely hampers their growth and their journey in Christ, and that's too big a price to pay. All right, again, we're moving on, and this is where we finish today. See, we've already touched on chapter 3, which is about 310, the calling of God expressing who he is through his people to the world and the principalities and powers. And then we get to this wonderful verse in Ephesians 3, verse 20. So here to this point, Paul has labored really hard and well to bring us to this point. And now he sums it all up by announcing this. Now to him who is able to do, this is Jesus, by the way, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So here we go. Despite Paul's prayer in chapter 1, that we reach a height beyond even our wildest imagination could take us, he is still not satisfied. Paul's saying, brothers and sisters, there's still something more here. There's still something greater that remains to be discovered, and he urges us on to discover it. 
See, God was able to do not only what Paul has asked and what Paul has described and all the wonderful things that we've so briefly looked at this morning, but Paul was saying God's able to even do infinitely more than that to anybody who knows how to ask or work with him on this. He's been convinced by the Holy Spirit that God desires to do so much more beyond anything we have ever thought about or conceived. And so he urges us over and over again to discover this. It's more than faith, and it's more than hope. It stands of the reality of the new creation, and this new creation, Mark 1.15 and a whole lot of other scriptures, this new creation began at Christ's first coming and his resurrection, and the day of Pentecost, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now it is, it has an eschaton, it has an unfinished degree to it that will not be completed until Jesus returns. But it began at the first coming. And Paul is saying, you are part of a new creation. This world has never, ever seen people like you on it before. This planet has never had people on it like you on it before. That's why he's able to, Jesus is able to say in Matthew 11, See John the Baptist, there has been no man born until John's time greater than John. But I say to you, whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because whoever is least in the kingdom of God is still filled with the Holy Spirit and born into a new creation and born into the power of God. And that power is life-changing not only for us or our community, but the whole world around us. Everybody and every situation we come into contact with can be changed and influenced by this. And Jesus... Jesus says there's never been people on this planet like that before in history. That's who we are, brothers and sisters. Don't stand in the front of the mirror looking at all your weaknesses and failings. Paul's saying, get on your knees and pray that you see something different. Pray that you see a man or a woman filled with the power of God, anointed, called with a purpose, trained and equipped to go out and bring the new creation onto this planet. And if you think you are the weakest person that's ever been born in the kingdom of God, rejoice that at least you're greater than John the Baptist. That's not a bad place to start. Together we need to reach into the heart of God. We have a huge commission and a huge calling. We need to go and do it. So here's what we want we're going to do. I would like the worship team to come back up please. I don't have a song for you that's your anointing. And I would like the leaders and people to come forward and come down across here. These are people who know who they are, who can pray for you, who have the anointing of God on their lives. I want these guys to come across here. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And guys, we're doing this quick. God is not going to beg. So we're going to finish the meeting. The worship team is going to play. And we're gonna, we have wonderful people here that are going to, are prepared to pray for you. Now here, this is not a counseling session. Here's what we're going to do. If you want the power of God to be made alive in you and brought alive in you, which has already been done for you if you've been born again, 
When I call you, get out of your seats and get down here. This is not a big negotiation, begging thing. I'm not going to dishonor God like that. You either want it or you don't. Now, we're going to end the meeting. We've got tea and coffee and probably all sorts of other stuff going on. So you're free, but don't go the wrong way. And by the way, you're free to just sit here and pray for those being prayed for. Don't go the wrong way. Don't go that way if you should be coming this way. If you don't know what it is to have ever given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, come down the front and let these people pray for you today. And they can introduce you to him and who he is. So, here we go, guys. We've already got one very keen young woman down here now. Here we go. The worship team's going to start to play. If you want a fresh touch with God, get up, get out of your seats, and get down here now and let these people pray for you. God bless you. Thank you very much.